The reading today is from Hebrews, uh, chapter 10, verse 35 to chapter 12, verse 3. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father, because he considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He, he who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. 
Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
Uh, great to see you all. Uh, we are uh, in our penultimate sermon in the Overview Bible s- Sermon Series. So before we look further at this wonderful passage, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, your word which informs us uh, about the future and how to live in the present in light of that. Please, we pray, as we reflect on this amazing passage together, may your spirit help us to see the profound wisdom of it and to respond with joy and gratitude to it. Amen. Uh, at the moment, I am reviewing my investments. Uh, a lot of my savings, or our savings, I should say, are in um, airline European stocks, and um, the future is not particularly rosy, possibly, for uh, European airline stocks at the moment, with uh, Brexit and a lot of the economic worries, and also the more global picture of uh, a global turndown. So I'm in the process of reviewing what we do. Should we change our investments? And I have to say, it's very daunting. It's daunting when faced with such significant decisions because I do not know the future. I need advice. I need wisdom in decision-making in this realm. And so I have come across the ultimate asset, the barefoot investor. Here it is, Scott Pape. It contains uh, financial wisdom, pearls of great wisdom, principles for investing and managing my finances. Well... There comes a point where I have to decide if I'm going to act on the wisdom of Scott Pape. Uh, Will I exercise faith in what he says by implementing what he recommends? Because, of course, I don't want to look back when I get to retirement with great regret at missed opportunities. Now, by his own admission, uh, Scott Pape acknowledges he doesn't know the future. And the best he can give us is principles and wisdom for decisions we make in the present. And yet, in this book, in the Bible, is priceless wisdom. Uh, In the Bible, God reveals the future. And God has not just given us predictions about the future, but absolute, cast-iron certain promises about the future and how it will unfold ultimately. Uh, Promises to one day renew all things. To one day raise all who are in Christ to a new level of experience of life. And to one day destroy everything that destroys us. To restore life to what God always intended it to be, only better. And God says this is what the future is like. This is where history is heading. And God assures us with all his divine authority, this is what I will do in the future. But we each face the choice now of whether or not to act on these promises. Will we exercise faith in them in the present? Will we allow this divine wisdom to benefit our lives? Will we live by faith in Christ and the promises he makes? Well, this is the heart of the concern of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, As you probably picked up, the main theme of Hebrews chapter 11 is living by faith. And this indeed is probably the fullest and most important explanation of faith in the Bible. And that's why we're dedicating a whole sermon to study it in this overview sermon series. And what we're going to see in this amazing passage is two components of faith, and they're both tightly interrelated. Firstly, 
faith is looking forward to what God has promised. And secondly, faith is trusting in the God who has made those promises. It's looking forward to what God has promised it, but it's also trusting in the God who has made these promises. So that's where we're going this morning. Let's look at the first of these then. Faith is looking forward to what God has promised. Uh, the chapter opens with this definition of faith in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of we, what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. What is the great hope held out in the Bible, the thing we hope for? And what has been the central hope of this overview sermon series? It is a solution to sin. It's a reversal of the fallen world. It is a fixing of everything that is broken. An end to sickness and sadness. An end to disease and disaster and death. It is, of course, the hope of heaven. The hope of the renewal of all things. The hope of God's eternal rest. The hope of the new creation. This is what God has promised but it's not yet come about. And hence we cannot see these things because they are still in the future. And faith, therefore, is a certainty that they will one day become a reality. Now to live with such a life philosophy is very radical. The ethos of our culture is to live for now, to live for the visible, to live for the tangible. And yet the gospel says, don't do that. It is wiser to live by faith and not by sight. Uh, the way of the world has been summarized in the acronym W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G. Can you work out what it is? What you see is what you get. There you go. Although you did have a sneak preview of the sermon script. Well done. I trust your honesty on that. Well done, Rod. Ten marks. What you see is what you get. And yet people of Christian faith have a radically different slogan for life. Their mantra is, what you don't see is what matters. What you don't see is what matters. And when we assess all that is around us through the eyes of faith, everything then changes. We see things as they truly are. We have this deep and profound wisdom for then living. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 says this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. See, the things all around us, they may be visible, uh, they may be tangible, but ultimately they are temporary and they are fleeting. And the eyes of faith sees the unseen. It's the as of yet invisible future things of God that are eternal, the new creation. And the more this vision filters down into our hearts, the more we are empowered to live radical lives for Christ in the present. We live our life by faith and not by sight on the basis of what is 
invisible, not what is visible. Now then, secular society would brand us as utterly mad. They say, what utter folly. That secular society would say, look, there's good reasons that you can't see any of these things because they're not real and they're never going to happen. They're make-believe. Fantasy Island, don't be a fool. Don't waste your life. Secular society says, live for now. Live for the tangible. Live for what you can see. And yet the voice of faith says, actually, they are the fools. Live for what really counts. Live for a destiny that truly lasts forever. Now then, to bolster his case, the writer of Hebrews now proves that living by faith in God's promises is the best way to possibly live. And he now proves it by showing that this has been the challenge for people of every generation. Uh, Hebrews 11 verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. And what then follows in chapter 11 is what we could call a galaxy of Old Testament heroes of faith. Now, you probably realize that time does not allow us to examine each one. Uh, we are just going to pick up on the main thread. And as Abraham's faith is described in the most detail, uh, we're going to give him the most airtime. So, chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now it was way back in March of this year, if you were with us, when we looked at the story of Abraham. And we were in Genesis chapter 12. And if you recall, God says to Abraham, leave your home, leave your country, go to a land I will show you. And if you do this, I'm going to bless you. And incredibly, on the basis of God's word, that's what Abraham does. Uh, he puts his money where his mouth is. He packs up everything. Uh, he sacrifices his safety and security. And he trades his comfortable house in Ur for a nomadic existence in a tent. Why did he do it? Because he believed in God's promises for his future. And yet he knew full well that the fulfillment of these promises would not come in his lifetime. In fact, Abraham, along with all these other Old Testament heroes of faith, knew that the future they were looking forward to was beyond the scope of their earthly lives. It was nothing less than a new creation. Uh, Hebrews 11 verse 13. Uh, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them. And welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. 
People who say such things show that they are looking forward to a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Each of these Old Testament heroes of faith assessed life through eyes of faith. They recognized this world, it's not our true home. And they viewed themselves as aliens and as strangers. Why? Because they had God's promises of a better future world. And that powerfully informed the way they lived in the present world. And it molded their hopes and it shaped their aspirations. You see, Christian faith is having confidence in God's promises for the future and letting that confidence shape our whole lives in the present. That is what Christian faith is. But we see another facet of faith in the examples of these Old Testament heroes of faith. Because the second thing we're going to see is this. Faith is not trusting just in God's promises, but also in the God who makes those promises. Uh, look again at the definition of faith in chapter 11, verse 1. And now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And being certain of what we do not see is not just about the future things we hope for. Our faith in the unseen world of the future is anchored in our faith in the unseen God of the present. Uh, inevitably, there is a close link between faith in the promises and faith in the God who makes the promises. And therefore, faith is also trusting in the God who makes the promises to be faithful to his promises. And we see this particularly in the example of Abraham and Sarah. Watch out for it as I read uh, chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Of course, we have to go back to Genesis chapters 17 to 18 uh, to see the story in its original setting. Abraham and Sarah were this decrepitly old couple. Uh, Sarah was long past childbearing, but God promised them a son through whom he would bless the world. Now, humanly speaking, of course, this was utterly impossible. It was preposterous. Now, Sarah was well past childbearing age, and Abraham was as good as dead. But faith considered God faithful, even when what he promised was impossible, humanly speaking. 
And this principle is applicable to us today as it was to Abraham and to Sarah 4,000 years ago. You see, the thing that God promises us through the gospel are impossible things, humanly speaking. Resurrection of our bodies to be immortal and to be superior to our current bodies in the age to come, that sounds like make-believe. The promise of this world, but totally restored to perfection, that's incredible, preposterous. Eternal life in God's kingdom, unbelievable at scene. From a human perspective, this is pure Disneyland. But we consider him who made the promises to be faithful to his promises. And what's more, God's track record of keeping his promises, it's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, is this not, of course, the main takeaway of everything we've been seeing in this Overview Bible sermon series? God has proved his faithfulness in history, and therefore we can, uh, we can trust him to finish the job. Uh, God has promised in the Old Testament that he would send the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem and to die for our sins and to be raised back to life. And the fact these things have now come to pass testifies God is faithful to his promises. And so it is, in fact, the greatest act of wisdom to build our lives on God's promises. And so we live by faith in the unseen God and his promises of an unseen future. Now then, the wisdom of putting our faith in Christ and his promises cannot be verified by our circumstances of life now. The life of faith provides no guarantees that all will go well for us during this life. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. And it means that we must continue trusting in God no matter what happens to us in this life. And this is what we see in the lives of these Old Testament heroes of faith. In verses 11, uh, sorry, in chapter 11, verses 32 to 35, we have a, a catalogue of triumphant heroes. And for these people, their faith led to success and victory in their lives in the present. Uh, chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? Uh, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, uh, probably referring particularly to the many victories of King David, uh, administered justice, and gained what was promised, uh, who shut the mouths of lions, uh, Daniel probably, quenched the fury of the flames, uh, Daniel's three friends, and escaped the edge of the sword, probably David fleeing from Saul, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again, probably referring to two women in particular who had their dead children raised back to life by Elisha and Elijah. But the hallway of faith heroes is not just occupied by those who enjoy triumph and victory. 
For every story of deliverance, there is a contrasting story of defeat. And for every account of success, there is a contrasting story of suffering. Verse 35 continues. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. There's no deliverance for them in this life. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. It's a stark contrast, isn't it? Some people of faith escaped the edge of the sword, but other people of faith were killed with the sword. Faith does not always mean deliverance in the present. Faith doesn't always mean that things will necessarily work out in the present as we hope. People of faith will have many very different experiences. Uh, Sometimes people teach that uh, misguidedly so that faith means everything will work out for us. If only you have enough faith, then you will be healed. If only you have enough faith, then God will get you the job you hope for. If only you have enough faith, then God will hook you up with the right person. And then the relationship you'd hope for will work out. And yet that is an unbiblical and cruel thing to teach because the Bible gives no such assurances. And what happens to that person's faith if they don't get healed or if the relationship does not work out? They either despair that their faith wasn't strong enough and it's their fault or they conclude that God is not faithful and he's let them down. Faith means trusting God even when he doesn't appear to be in control. Faith holds on to Christ in the darkness. We continue to believe in God and to trust that he is good, that he's merciful, that he's loving, and that he's faithful. For the faithful, everything will come good in the end, but the end is not necessarily in this life. Now then, remember the situation, of course, to whom uh, this letter was originally written. Uh, It was written, of course, to Jewish Christians. Uh, They were in a dark place. Uh, They were facing mountain persecution for their faith. And as a result, they were wavering in their faith. They were questioning, is the life of faith really worth it? And there was a real danger that they would renounce Christ and return to the safety and security of Judaism. And hence we have this recurring exhortation throughout the letter. Hold on to to Christ at all costs. Hold on to him even in the darkness. And having introduced to them this hallway of heroes in chapter 11, the writer now turns to drawing out the implications in chapter 12. And if you notice, chapter 12 opens with this word, therefore. In the light of all that has been said in chapter 11, 
This, therefore, is how you should now live. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Life in this world is likened to a race. And the finishing line is the point when we pass from this life into the next. And how should we now live? We should run the race and run it with perseverance. Never giving up. Trusting in Christ, even in the darkness. And we should also be ruthless in getting rid of everything that holds us back or holds us down or trips us up in the race of faith. And not only that, we should mould our lives on the supreme athlete of this race, the all-time champion, Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scoring its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is our supreme example of faith. The one who endured the most excruciating opposition. And yet now he is there in glory, receiving his reward. He is the supreme example of our faith. But he's also the object of our faith. The whole point is that we persevere in our race, in our faith in him. And that faith is grounded not just in an unseen future, but also in an unseen past. We were not in Palestine 2,000 years ago. We didn't see with our own eyes Christ's crucifixion or his resurrected self. And yet by faith, we believe these things really happened. And by faith, we believe these are the most significant events in human history. The turning points. And by faith we believe they are the basis for all of God's promises for the future. By faith we believe Christ's shed blood is the most powerful and decisive act that deals once and for all with the endemic sin problem. So as we close, let's think about uh, some words of application. And the main application has to be living our lives now in the light of eternity. You see, the Bible is far more valuable than the barefoot investor. The Bible contains God's cast iron promises for the future. And if we respond in faith to them now, all uncertainty about life beyond this life is removed. If you like, our name is written on the deed which in the words of 1 Peter 1 verse 4 is an inheritance that can never perish, can never spoil, can never fade, kept in heaven for you. 
have you made the wisest of choices yet? Have you exercised faith in Christ? Have you asked Christ to deal with your sin so that you can have this cast iron certain future hope? How devastating it would be to get to the finishing line of your life only to find that the doorway to this amazing inheritance, to this heavenly country, is locked. And if we have put our trust in Jesus, the Bible gives us real wisdom for living lives of significance and purpose and weight in the present. The Bible gives us wisdom to run the race of life well. The Bible implores us, throw off everything that hinders. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles. And therefore, we each need to ask, are we giving the pursuit of godliness the appropriate priority it deserves in our lives? The Bible tells us how we can live lives which will have an impact for eternity. It reminds us, everything around us, it's fleeting, it's temporary. But God's kingdom will last. And the Bible, therefore, gives us the best advice for, if you like, a spiritual investment plan. The Bible says, use our energies and our resources to have an impact for eternity. Be intentional about sharing Jesus with others who don't yet know him. And get alongside other Christians in this race. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Make them to keep going at all costs, even in the darkness. God's word and God's promises give us a wisdom to make priceless, good spiritual choices for our lives in the present. And it says there is real wisdom in living by faith and not by sight. And if we do that, when we reach the finishing line of our present lives, we will have no regrets. We will have the satisfaction of a life well lived. A life that's been invested in eternity. And at the end of the day, we know this present world is not our home. And as Christians, we know we're aliens, we're strangers. In Christ, we are looking forward to a better country, to a heavenly one. And therefore, Christ is not ashamed to be called our God, for he has prepared a city for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the priceless promises of the gospel. Thank you that you offer us uh, a better life in a renewed world. Priceless promises of a future life, which we can only just dip our toes in, in terms of imagining how amazing it will be. Thank you for your Bible, which gives us the wisdom to view life now through the eyes of faith, to see that everything around us is ultimately temporary and fleeting. 
and yet living by faith and living for the gospel and living for the kingdom is the best and most worthwhile means of our life. Therefore, we pray, help us to live as people of faith, people who live by faith and not by sight. Help us to live lives which joyfully trust in Christ. And therefore, when we get to the finishing line, may we know in our hearts that deep satisfaction that we have lived life well in the light of eternity. Amen.